So we're going to turn to scripture now, or in a moment we will. Today we're starting a new series, uh, and in uh, these weeks that take us uh, from Easter through into the summer, we're going to be in Acts, the first few chapters of the book of Acts. I'll put my slide up, there we go, got a new graphic and everything. Now, some of you will already know that Acts is Luke, volume two. Luke wrote his gospel as volume one, and we've been looking at that, at Luke's gospel. We've been there from January to Easter. And now, on the other side of Easter, we're going to move into Luke, volume two. So Luke, volume one, Luke's gospel, deals with Jesus' life, from his birth to his death, and covers his teaching and his miracles and his message of salvation and God's kingdom. We've been dipping into those stories, haven't we, over the last few months. Now, volume two, Acts, could be subtitled, What the Disciples Did Next. In Acts, Luke goes on to record for his friend Theophilus and for us what happened next for these people that we met in his gospel. And this is really important. It's really important that we understand that the Bible doesn't stop at the gospels. It doesn't end when Jesus' story ends because actually Jesus' story hasn't ended. Luke's second volume, Acts, it's the only book in the Bible that tells us what happened next, that tells us that this is a continuing story. It hasn't ended. It keeps going. And it's the story of how Jesus' story has reached us today. So in fact, both Acts and Luke tell the story of Jesus but Acts is doing it in a different way. Because the work of Jesus in this world doesn't end when the Gospels end. He doesn't just exit the stage and that's it for him. This is the story of how Jesus' work goes on, of how it's carried on even when he's not physically there with his disciples anymore. It's the story of how those disciples and the small number of believers who were there at that time, how they learned how to go about this task that Jesus had left them with, which is to carry on his work and his message. Acts is the story of the birth of the church. There are no churches in the Gospels. It's just Jesus going round with his disciples. You won't find any churches there. But in Acts, we see groups of believers starting to form and emerge in different locations as the message spreads. Acts is the first place where we find the word ecclesia, which means church. These are the prototype churches. So let's read from Acts chapter 1. Now, if you have a Bible there, please turn to Acts chapter 1, but it will be on the screen as well, so you can follow along. Let's read some verses 
from chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come? for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This is God's word, and it is for us today. Let's pray. Father, your word is open before us, and we are here open before you too. Will you open us now so that we can hear your voice and hear what these words have to say to us today so that we can understand your passion and what you have for us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and do your work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me just make some brief comments on the last bit of that passage first. Those last few verses tell us about Jesus' ascension to heaven. And that's not something that we look at very often. And I thought it would be good to spend a few minutes on it today. Luke is the only one who mentions the ascension at all. If we only had Matthew and Mark and John we would have nothing to indicate what happened to Jesus after his resurrection appearances. Those gospels have Jesus appearing to his followers and his disciples, but they don't say anything about what happened beyond that. 
But this matters because we need to understand that Jesus didn't just live a long life and die a natural death, a second death, at a ripe old age. He wasn't just somehow resuscitated back to life only to die a natural death at some later time. That would have been the case for Lazarus. It's not the case for Jesus. The life that Jesus has been resurrected to is a different kind of life. And that matters. Because in his resurrection, he has defeated and overcome the very force of evil and decay and death itself in its most primal form. The risen Jesus will not die again because he has vanquished death and all that is associated with it. And we will get to share in that life through faith in him. That's why the ascension matters. Let's have a look at these last few verses from Luke's gospel. This is the very end of Luke, from the end of Luke 24. And the way it's written here makes it sound like it all happened very quickly, all in one day. In Luke 24, this follows straight on from Jesus' first and only resurrection appearance in Luke to his disciples. And then he leads them to Bethany, he blesses them, and then he's taken up into heaven. But in Acts, Luke tells it a bit differently. He adds more detail. And we discover that this didn't all just happen on one day. Look at verse 3. Luke is saying that there's a 40-day period after his resurrection when he appears to the disciples on different occasions and he talks with them and he eats with them, it tells us in verse 4. And then in verse 9, he's taken up into a cloud as they watch and he disappears from their sight and he doesn't appear again. This is all very strange, isn't it? The theologian Tom Wright explains this helpfully. I found it helpful. And he advises us not to think of heaven as some separate physical location that is somehow up there in outer space. But rather to think of it as there being two realms, a realm where God is and a realm where we are. And they are interconnected, those realms, but at the moment we cannot go between them. Jesus, after his resurrection, becomes the first and so far the only person who is able to go between them and be fully at home in both realms and move freely between them. And his moving between them, as he does for these 40 days, that is an indicator, a forerunner of a time that is to come when those realms will not be separate anymore, they will become one. And we, God's people, will be able to inhabit the same realm where he is and be in his presence. We can't do that yet. 
but we will. And so Wright's interpretation of these verses here, of Jesus being lifted up into heaven, is that it doesn't mean that Jesus is heading off somewhere in the direction of the moon, like some kind of early spaceman, but that he is now entering God's realm, the Father's realm. And that's where he will be from that day until the day when he returns. And God's realm and our realm will be brought together once and for all. And we won't be separated anymore. But let's go back now to the start of our Acts passage. Because there's a very important word in verse 1 that we need to notice and puzzle out. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Everything Jesus began to do and teach before his ascension. If he only began, there's an implication that he hasn't finished. Luke's gospel deals with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, but he's saying that those are just the things Jesus began to do. And now in this book, this book of Acts, This is going to be about the things that Jesus continued to do and continues to do. Even though he has left them and he doesn't appear again physically, he hasn't stopped, he hasn't finished, his work hasn't finished. From the realm where he now is, he is still at work in the world. So if you've got your Bible there, perhaps you could turn now to the end of Acts, to Acts 29. If you turn over the pages of your Bible, you'll find that Acts 29 isn't there. Faulty Bible? Nope. Acts ends at Acts 28. But Acts 29 is something you will hear talked about in Christian circles. Because if you look at Acts 28 and how it ends, how this story ends, we see that actually the story doesn't end, not really. There's a full stop at the end of the sentence. But there's no sense really that the story has concluded, that the story has ended or reached any kind of finishing point. And that's because the story hasn't ended. We talk about Acts 29 because Acts 29 is us. Acts 29 is here and now. We are the continuation of this story. In Acts 28, the last chapter, Paul has gone all the way to Rome And he's talking to some Jews there at the end of chapter 28. And they argue with him and they struggle to accept and understand what he's saying. And he says to them, you're struggling to accept this story. But this gospel is also going to the Gentiles, to the whole of the rest of the world. And they will accept it. 
And then the next bit goes on to say that Paul lives there in Rome for two years and he welcomes all who come to him and he proclaims the kingdom of God without hindrance. And that's where chapter 28 ends. There is no big finale. But what that's telling us is the gospel of Jesus has now moved beyond the backwaters of Galilee. It's even moved out from Jerusalem and now it's reached the center of the political world which was Rome. And Paul is actually under house arrest at that point. But what this is telling us is that even though he's under house arrest, the gospel wasn't stopped. Eventually, Paul will be executed for his faith. He will be martyred. But even though he was executed, the gospel wasn't stopped. They thought they'd ended it when they executed Jesus, but they hadn't and they couldn't. They tried to put a stop to it by executing his disciples, the apostles. Most of them did end up dying for their faith. But this message could not and cannot be stopped. We know that it wasn't stopped and we know that it can't be stopped because it's reached us today. There is no other reason why the message from an executed criminal somewhere in the backwaters of the Middle East two millennia ago would or could reach us 2,000 years later, on the other side of the planet, unless that message had a life and a power of its own. And we need to understand this. We need to understand that when we do what we do, and we tell out the message of Jesus, and nothing much seems to happen, we need to understand that this is a message that has survived for 2,000 years. And it's not about to fail now. It is an unstoppable message, a message that cannot be destroyed or silenced or wiped out. It can't be defeated. It can't be held down. This message will go out. It will go forth. And it will do what God has sent it to do in ways that are far beyond what we may be able to understand. It's a message that brings hope to hopeless situations, that brings light where there is only darkness. A message that releases captives and prisoners. It's a message that changes everything it touches. And Acts 29, and Acts 30, and 31, and all the chapters over the centuries since, they are the story of that message going out into the world. It's the story of the people who have proclaimed it, and the survival of the church, the survival of that message down the centuries until it reaches us here in our present day. Acts hasn't ended yet. And we're in it. 
we're still in it. We're still in this unfolding story, which is still unfolding and carrying on. We are part of it. What we do and what we are today is part of what Jesus set in motion right back in Acts chapter 1 when he spoke to his disciples before he left them. We are directly connected to them. There is a direct line between them and the instructions that Jesus gave them and us. So let's have a look now at the middle section of this passage that we haven't looked at yet. Let's look at verse 6. On these occasions, within those 40 days, when Jesus was coming to them, they kept asking him, is it now, Lord, is now the time when you're going to restore Israel? Now, this is the same old question that they kept asking him and kept wanting him to answer in the Gospels. And you can imagine him giving just a tiny sigh, it's that same old fixation with Israel being liberated and being made top dog again, top nation. That's what they're waiting for. That's what they're still hoping for. But interestingly, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for asking this. He doesn't even lift a kind of really eyebrow. He just redirects them. That's not for you to know he says, verse 7. That's not for you to worry about. I don't want you to get fixated on things which are in the Father's hands. You need to leave all of that to him. There are some things that are not for you to know. I know you always want answers and clear information, but you need to trust God with the big stuff. You need to just trust that he knows what he's doing and that he's got all things in hand. There will always be big questions that you don't have clear answers to, but you just need to trust him on those, that even though you don't know, he does. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he continues. And there's a real sense here of not that, but this. That's not what you need to focus on. You need to focus on this. This is where your attention needs to be. Not on questions which are in God's hands, but on what's happening here and now and what he's asking you to do now. Because what's happening in the here and now is that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. So Jesus is giving them a task, and he's also going to give them the power that they will need to do it. Jesus knows 
that they're going to hit obstacles and barriers. He knows the opposition and the resistance because he's faced it himself and he knows they're going to get that too. And he knows that they're going to get confused and make mistakes and he wants them to know that in all of those moments there is a place they need to come back to to get filled again with the power that they need. You will have seen uh, at the beginning that my title for this series is Empowered. And I've given a definition of the meaning of that word. It means to be given the confidence and the means to achieve something. Jesus gives his people a task to do, but he's also going to give them what they need to do it. They will be empowered. And the thing that he's going to give is the Holy Spirit. If they just go off and get on with this and carry out his instructions by themselves, they will miss the whole point. There is something here for them that Jesus wants them to have. They will be empowered to do God's work, to carry on Jesus' work. The whole point is that the power comes from the Holy Spirit. And that's what's going to do this. When they are lost and they don't know which way to go, they will be shown the way. When they are confused and discouraged, they will be given courage and confidence. When they don't know what to say, they will be given words. When they are exhausted and worn down, they will be given new strength. And when they speak, their words will have a power that is not their own. So what is it, this task that he gives them to do? You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. You're going to tell. You're going to tell people about me. So let's just see what Jesus has done here because his instructions to them have three parts. He's told them to trust the authority of the Father, to receive the power of the Spirit, and to tell my story. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do you see that? are very simple instructions for what we have to do. Trust the Father. Trust that God knows what he's doing. And the big questions are in his hands and in his power. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit and let it work in you and through you because that's what will make the difference. And tell my story. Just tell my story. Tell people about me. The Father gives authority. The Spirit gives power. 
and the Son has the story that brings life. Stop getting bogged down with issues which are for the Father to sort out. Leave them in his hands and stop obsessing about them. Focus instead on what he wants you to do now, here and now. I'll trust you, Father, that you're looking after the bigger picture. I'll trust you that that's safe. Now what do you want me to do in the meantime? Receive the power of the Spirit. And we're going to hear more about this in the coming weeks. I'm not going to dig any deeper into the Holy Spirit now. Other than to say that when we're focusing on the right things, when we're doing what God wants us to do, when we're listening to him and staying close to him and surrendering our will to his will, then he empowers us. He gives us the confidence and the means to achieve his purposes in his strength. We don't need to do anything complicated or sophisticated. We just need to keep telling his story in the power of the Spirit, trusting that the Father will take care of the big stuff. These are the instructions in Acts 1. And they are the instructions in Acts 29, where we are. This is his call to us, his church. We're going to share in bread and wine around his table in a moment. It's an act of love, but it's an act of love that requires a response from us. At this table, we receive his love, and we also receive his commission. He sends us out from his table into the world. So let's take a few moments of quiet to prepare ourselves to be ready to hear his words to us at his table. <clears throat>